Welcome in to another edition of BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined as always by Thomas Watts, our engineer back in the studio in Mobile. He's with Touchdown Alabama and will be joined very shortly by our other co-host, Judy Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. And uh, we have a number of things to talk about tonight, but one of the more impressive ones was whether you were there in person, sat through the rain, or whether you watched on television, listened on the radio, saw it on your DVR, or even looked at it on YouTube, you saw a beatdown of epic proportions in the form of Alabama 38, Georgia 10. And I'll be the first to admit I was wrong about this game. Uh, I did pick Georgia to win. I had a feeling Mark Rick might actually win a big game. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. But then to exacerbate matters, prior to the kickoff when uh, our team came out of the tunnel, the Georgia players chose to trot across the field and start yip-yapping in our guy's face. Now, let's be very clear about this. When you're the team with two national championships, you don't go over and, and, and bark at the team with 15 and think you're going to get away with it. It was at that moment that I turned to Kirk McNair, who is the uh, publisher of BamaMag.com, and will be with us an hour or two tonight. And I said, you know, my prediction might be wrong. I can't change it now. It's too late. But, you know, they may have just screwed up. And, boy, did they screw up. Uh, Alabama just lined up, hit them in the mouth, scored on offense, defense, and special teams. And the rain didn't seem to bother Alabama. It kind of reminded me of uh, the 2012 NCAA softball national championship when Alabama played Oklahoma and won in the rain. But this was uh, a regular season game. But it was one of the most impressive Alabama victories since Saban has been here. And I'll say that because it was on the road against the top ten team. Well, they were a top ten team. And in, in, in a, a very steady rain, sometimes uh, almost blinding rain, but it was uh, – Thomas, I know you watched it on TV. It was a great, great victory for Alabama, and I'm sure it looked even better on TV than it did in person. It, it was, and I will say it was very interesting watching the rain come and go throughout. Like as the third quarter started, it looked like the bottom absolutely dropped out and – I was glad I didn't travel to this one, but it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, you got to hope that Georgia was not Jake Cook or Steven Garcia game, and Alabama fans will know exactly what I'm referring to, and that the team continues to take steps forward because as impressive as that game was, you got to you got to keep building. You know, there's there's a lot more to go if you know what I mean. We are joined by Drew. Drew, how you doing this evening? Good guys, how you guys doing today? Great, happy. He has the most complete performance, I think, uh, from the standpoint of offense, defense, special teams, and in uh, in over two years, I think it was just, it was a great performance considering the and the weather conditions. Uh, you know what was at stake. A lot of people talking about Georgia being the best all-around team in the SEC. I thought they were, but obviously uh, the schedule did play out to the point where they had not played anyone nearly of Alabama's caliber. Uh, and then, you know, to be honest. I did change my pick. I know I was on the show, and I picked Georgia. I know Kerry did as well. I, I changed my pick right before kickoff because <laughs> – Yeah, pick's lock at midnight the night before, Chief. Well, uh, not in not in my world. 
But uh, the thing is, I just uh, I just felt like uh, I'd, I'd heard some really good things Thursday and Friday. And then when Georgia decided to lock up, you know, and, and uh, go on the G and start taunting Alabama, basically trying to act like they were tough and, you know, just be something that they're not. Obviously, they're still soft under Mark Rick. But uh, they were just basically trying to convince themselves they were ready. I just kind of felt like uh, Alabama – no, I didn't expect 38-10, to 10, but I felt like Alabama was going to win the game. And uh, they went out and dominated. Uh, you know, they uh, once they uh, stayed patient and uh, got the ground game going and kind of wore Georgia down, then they were able to, you know, block the punt and then uh, obviously hit the – finally hit a deep ball to – Someone, if you, it's amazing if you if you don't throw the ball to our Darius Stewart, good things can happen. And and then uh, and then of course uh, coming out of the locker room, Eddie Jackson, kind of with the nail in the coffin there with the pick six. And you know, it also set Nick Saban up for one of his all-time rants on Monday at his press conference about uh, the media having buried his team and uh, they were six foot under and they needed respirators and. And I think we need to be clear about one thing. He really wasn't talking about the media in the room. Yeah, he, was he, was talking to his team. he was talking to his team, and he was talking to the national media. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the guys in the room got the blood of it, but it really, truthfully, wasn't directed at them. Well, he was talking to his team and then to Pat Forty and Matt Hayes and a lot of the other hacks that uh, <laughs> were gleeful in the media room after Alabama lost to Ole Miss and Clay Travis, even though I wouldn't call him a uh, national media member, what I'd call him is a peckerhead uh, who just so happens to say outlandish things and get people like Fox to hire him for some unknown reason. But at least uh, his uh, team is a dumpster fire right now. But, uh, but uh, again, <laughs> that's right. You know, uh, One of yeah. several in our conference. Yeah. So, but uh, but again, I, he was mostly talking to his team about it's, it's what exactly what Thomas just talked about. You have to keep building. I mean, this schedule is still daunting. Uh, you've got Arkansas coming off their first road win in the Brett Bielema area era, excuse me, uh, at our you know on the road at Tennessee, 24 to 20, and uh, Alabama barely scraped by in Fayetteville last year to kind of save their season, 14 to 13. So it's a dangerous game, and then of course Texas A&M, they're going to be coming off a bye week, uh, as is Tennessee. So. It's uh, one of those years I think where about four teams are getting a bye before they play Alabama. So Texas A&M uh, barely escaped Arkansas as well in Arlington, but uh, you know it was pretty solid against uh, Mississippi State and is going to be beaten and ranked in the top ten. So it's just going to be tough uh, from here on out. Alabama's got some dangerous, you know, kind of landmine games, and I think that's this one of one of these, you know, this Arkansas contest at home at Brian Denny is the first one and I think that's what Nick Saban that's why he was so animated near the end he wants to make sure his team stays focused and uh, continues in other words this is it's it's also like his Clemson rant uh, in 2008 it's one game you won one game everybody's now going to tell you you're back you got Trevor Maddich saying that Alabama is the best team in the country and he wouldn't want to play him anywhere well you if you if you truly are then you got to be consistent and improve it week in and week out yep and we've got a uh a pretty good slate of guests tonight. Uh, just in a few minutes from now, we'll be joined by Jimmy Stein. You know him on the Internet as LJS Law. He and Luke Robinson, another friend of the show, do the uh, Talking Tuscaloosa podcast. At the top of the next hour, shortly after 9 o'clock Central, we'll be joined by Kirk McNair, uh, the publisher of BamaMag.com. And then we're going to have a guest, Drew, from the uh, Arkansas media ranks. Yes, at 8.30. We are going to be joined by Otis Kirk of Hogs 24-7, and 
to say he's a veteran of the hog beat is an understatement, uh, much like Kirk, who's uh, been around the Alabama beat since the, you know, the 1970s when he was Coach Bryant's sports information director. And then if you want to say his own media uh, company from since 1979 with Bama Magazine when he left the University of Alabama and started his own magazine, Otis Kirk has covered Arkansas in, in one form or fashion for the last 25 years. So he is a veteran voice of the Razorbacks, and uh, we look forward uh, to speaking with him at 8.30 for a few minutes and getting his take on where the Razorbacks are right now and uh, if they've uh, completely uh, bounced back from the losses to Toledo and Texas Tech and, and what, and what the, where their mindset is right now. And, of course, Texas A&M. I mean, the, uh, the Texas A&M loss was gut-wrenching like it was the year before. So we'll go from one Kirk to another, Otis Kirk to Kirk McNair. So that'll be a lot of years of uh, coverage. I want to go over very quickly while we uh, are working on Jimmy Stein, the uh, participation chart from the win over Georgia. Alabama played 57 guys, but a lot of them didn't get in until the end. But I'm going to go ahead and just give last names. The starters on offense were Stewart, Ridley, Robinson, Pierce Barker, Kelly, Taylor, Jackson, Howard, Henry, Coker, and Mulaney. The starters on defense were Robinson, Allen, Reed, Ragland, Foster, Jones, Jackson, Matias, Smith, Humphrey, Fitzpatrick, and Duvall. And then the people that came off the bench. And, again, me and these were very late in the game. But uh, Harrison, Sylvie, Miller, Jones, uh, Tony Brown, Scarborough got his first action, uh, Hand, Payne, Scott, the punter, Drake, Bankman, the holder, Hamilton, the linebacker, Maurice Smith, uh, Anderson, Dylan Lee, Burgess Becker, uh, Evans, Harris, the running back, and kick returner, uh, Holcomb, Nice Wander, Tomlinson, Mazza returned to action, Cole Mazza, his suspension's now over, Tim Williams, another good game, and got talked about well by Saban, uh, Petway, Brandon Green, Warmack, the younger, Lester Cotton, uh, Frazier, the Doze guard, Bozeman, Boynoy Smith, Hentkus, Parker Barano, uh, Ball, Lake, and Griffith, who had another solid performance. And uh, so we are now joined by a good friend of this show and a good friend of mine. Uh, if you uh, read the Internet, you know him as LJS Law. Also, that is his Twitter handle. And if you listen to the podcast, Talking Tuscaloosa, with he and another friend of our show and a friend of his and a friend of mine, Luke Robinson, uh, I want to welcome back to BAMS Radio tonight, uh, also from Mobile, Thomas, uh, Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how you doing? Doing really good. I appreciate you guys inviting me back on. Oh, we're glad to have you, Jimmy. And uh, we, we were just talking about the way that Georgia kind of came out and whooped at our kids before the kickoff, uh, forgetting who had 15 national championships and who had two. And uh, I actually thought it was sort of a factor in the game. But overall, Jimmy, uh, would you say that was one of the most well-rounded performances of the Saban era? I would certainly rank it really high when you consider it was a road game against a, a highly ranked team. Uh, the fact that we were an underdog, which has been incredibly rare, uh, you factor all that in. And, and what, what I'm most impressed with, guys, is we played really well offensively, defensively, and on special teams. Every every component contributed. Every component played solid. And really, their their touchdown was—I uh, wouldn't call it a fluke at all. Chubb's a great player, and, and that's almost bound to happen when you play them. But but we we just completely and thoroughly dominated a very good football team. So it, it would have to rank high for sure. And hey, Jimmy, 
uh, I was, you know, I have to admit, I was more worried uh, about the offense and the direction uh, since the Wisconsin game. Uh, it seemed as Coach Saban uh, termed it scattershot uh, since uh, the, the uh, since Wisconsin when they performed, I thought very well. I thought they were very efficient. But I do think, you know, identity has been used a lot this year, but I do think they've found the formula now, uh, no matter who they play. And to me, they've got to get uh, Henry 20 to 25 carries, continue to pound the ball. And Jake Coker is, uh, is, is a serviceable quarterback. He can do the job, but to me, he's a guy that needs 20 to 25 pass attempts and to be efficient. Uh, they don't. They had to, of course, kind of stray when they fell so far behind when they were sloppy with the ball against Ole Miss. But if they can protect the football from here on out, I think Jay Coker's now proven that he can be the guy and can effectively do this. And the thing that's been the most surprising, and I knew he was a pretty good athlete, but it's has been his running ability. He is a, a good athlete and a good runner. I hope some fans don't confuse that with, you know, the possibility that he could be a good own read type guy. I don't think that's him at all, but I do think that once he gets outside the pocket and gets on the edge, he, he's sort of dangerous there. And, and, and when he tucks and runs, I, I would like to see some designed runs with Jake and, and less uh, ad lib sort of thing. I mean, I, I just think the design runs w- would fit him well. He, he, he's a good player. I think he's always been pretty good. We just have to remember with Jake, it's kind of odd for a fifth year senior who's kind of always been in the mix of playing. But Jake never in his five years of playing college football had ever been given all of the first team reps until basically game one week of his, of his fifth year. So even though he's got his plate, even though he's a senior, Jake has not gotten a ton of first team reps. Uh, and, and I think now he's starting to get that experience. And, and I think we'll see a more consistent kid from here on out. But there's still likely to be ups and downs because for a fifth-year guy, he he's not super experienced. But I, I like how Lane last year built an offense kind of around Blake. I think now that we've got a really good look at what Jake is like in the games, that, that Lane and, and, and Nick and the offensive staff can kind of build an offense around what Jake really does well. In regard to the design run thing, Jimmy, I, I totally agree with that. And I will tell you that the touchdown run at the end of the game by Jake was designed. But uh, they haven't called me yet. That was in his wheelhouse, you know. Yes, it was. Two-yard line, everybody thinks the running back's going to get the ball. Uh, I think that's probably going to be seen again later in the year. I'm going to ask you a question now, Jimmy, because just because of the fact that I know you talk to a lot of people and you hear a lot of things. And we, we've actually had a very loyal listener that tweeted that he'd like to have this asked, and we can all address it. But I'll let you go first, Jimmy. Uh, going forward, now that we've seen him for two carries, how much expansion this week do you foresee the role of Bo Scarborough? That is that is a great question because on the one hand, Bo is fourth in line. You know, on the one hand, he, he's the fourth guy behind Drake and Damian Harris. So on the one hand, I wouldn't expect to see a, a lot of carries or, or a lot of action while the game is, is in doubt with Bo, but – the other view is we haven't really had a second back step up. I, I, I think it's to question Drake's productivity as the second back. And, and, and uh, if we get so dependent on Derek, you know, we're always just a turn ankle away from a little bit of a disaster on offense. So I do think there's an opportunity for Bo 
to, to, to win some snaps and kind of become the second guy uh, if Drake's not going to do it. So I, I think there's a chance, but I wouldn't gamble too much on it for a couple of reasons. Bo missed so much practice in the spring and fall camp uh, due to the injury. I think he's a little heavy. I, I know our fans love those pictures of him because he's so muscled up and so ripped up. He, he hasn't had an opportunity to fully condition. He's probably a little heavy. I, I see more of a slow build-up to, to Bo get more carries and not just an overnight thing. But if I'm wrong, it's because we haven't had a second guy really step up at running back yet. So what do, what do you guys think? Guys, did I lose them? No, sorry. I, I thought uh, Kerry was going to ask another Bo uh, Scarborough question. Um, I, I, you know, I the, the thing about Bo, I, you know, I, I thought he looked really good physically. Jimmy may be right. Uh, I guess the thing that took that uh, that I, I was so uh, amazed about since uh, for, I did see him get injured in the spring and he was doing a really nice job uh, before that. Uh, is I, I thought he he looked his lower half was so uh, just looking at his legs and how built he was. And then uh, I know it was uh, only about a two- or three-yard gain on his second carry, but he showed some nice feet uh, for a big man uh, to kind of sidestep because he wasn't getting the greatest blocking in the world uh, with that group, but he still was able to make a three-yard gain out of one of the carries. It just kind of whets your appetite. Uh, You know, I thought that he might see some action uh, at H-back and full-back and maybe uh, get thrown the ball a time or two. But Alabama was controlling that game, and they wanted to go with the people that had, you know, danced with who brung you, so to speak. I guess, Jimmy, the thing that surprised me about uh, King and Drake is, uh, and obviously Coach Saban kind of addressed it uh, at his Monday press conference. Uh, bottom line is, you know, I thought he was, in the, in the game against Wisconsin, King was too anxious and was trying to win a Heisman with every uh, with every touch. Sounds like that's still kind of happening. He needs to be patient. But I have been a little bit surprised that we haven't seen him more involved as a receiver offensively uh, with his explosiveness. I think a surprising stat this late in season, Drew, a surprising stat to me that I, I would have lost a lot on this bet is we're now five games into the season. Drake is averaging 9.5 touches a game, and that's all. I, I would have bet more on – in the 15, 16, 17 area in terms of combined catches and touches. I mean, combined catches and and carries, but 9.5 touches a game, that's all Drake's getting. And some of that, I think, needs to be a a question to the staff, like, shouldn't you be getting the ball to him more? On the other half, uh, you know, Drake hasn't really produced with his carries. So uh, surely that's a number that's going to rise or Drake is just going to simply lose more carries to uh, to Bo and Damian. Okay, Jimmy Will of the chat room is glad to, that we have you on the air with us tonight, and they have a question. The first one came from Twitter. This comes from the chat room. Has Lane Kiffin finally accepted run first, or do we go back past happy in games that matter? Your opinion. Boy, what a great question. Uh, I, I would just say as an Alabama fan, I, I, you know, I, I loved the game plan so much against Georgia. I loved it. I, what, what, what I want to see out of Jake and what I want to see out of this offense this fall, I'm so excited about it. I'm almost worried that Jake played so well that we're going to give him additional leash and put kind of more on Jake uh, when I think the game plan against Georgia was just 
near perfection where Jake is supplementing Derek and Derek is not supplementing Jake. Uh, so I think we will see the Georgia game plan going forward. But what people have to remember is the, the Ole Miss thing w- w- was a reaction to us being down so early. I, I don't really think that's what, what our staff wants to do uh, game in and game out. So, uh, you know, I, I think we will be – I wouldn't necessarily, guys, say run first, but I, I do think going forward we're a Derek first offense. And I agree with that. I think he, without a doubt he's the identity of the offense. Um, now I do think if Bo Scarborough had been, you know, eligible and not had the, uh, the the four game suspension, if he had been able to get comfortable in a couple of the early games, he might have evolved into the complement uh, to Derrick Henry at this point, and maybe you would have seen more of uh, Kenyon Drake to receiver. That could be what happens to, him to this point forward, though, as Coach Saban said. When you're underway uh, during a season, it's harder to develop a role for guys. But I do think you'll see Bo get a few more reps uh, as the season goes along. We will see. But I do think uh, that Kenyon Drake hopefully will become more involved all around. Uh, I do think the experiment with the uh, kickoff return is probably over. That kind of surprised me. I thought he would uh, take to that well with his speed in the open field. And I even predicted he would probably break a couple of kickoff returns for touchdowns. Uh, this season, but it looks like Damian Harris has taken that job, uh, and you know, with the ball security issues with Kenyon, and then of course he got a little nicked up against Ole Miss. Uh, but Jimmy, what are your thoughts on Damian Harris? I know it's been a frequent uh, topic the last couple of days on Tider Insider. Many of them believe that Damian doesn't have the burst. Uh, it looks like to them to be a big time back. I guess they forget that he ran a Middle Tennessee State player down from 40 yards behind. But what is your take on uh, Damian? I think he's shown uh, some some skills, but it's hard to tell yet because of uh, being behind the second and the third team line. I think that that's a part of it. Uh, you know, Damian. I think part of it, guys, is you know the Saban era. We have been so good at running back throughout the whole Saban era. I think some fans that kind of view Damian as a disappointment are sort of comparing his true freshman start to T.J. Yeldon and Mark Ingram and, and Trent Richardson, guys that, that were awesome out of the gate and, and explosive out of the gate. And, and, and I think Damian is sort of suffering by comparison maybe to those guys. But at the same time, uh, Damian is averaging under four yards a carry uh, at Alabama. That, that That's not a good number. So I, I, I think it's fair to kind of scratch your head and say, I thought this kid might be a little better than that. But he's a freshman, and we got to remember our stud running back right now, Derrick Henry, his coming out party was game 13. And, I mean, he, he had shown some burst, shown some flash, just like Damian Absolutely. did running down, running down the interception. But Derrick Henry's coming out party was game 13. So I, I don't really think it's fair to, uh, quote, criticize Derrick, I mean, Damian, but – uh, you know, has he looked like Mark or Trent or TJ through game five? Probably not. I mean, that's that's fair. But, you know, he, he's clearly going to be a good player. I mean, you, you, can, you can bet on that. Damien's going to be good. How good? We'll see. Jimmy, we're going to stray off the Bama topic just for a second, and we'll let Drew resume the Bama talk with his next question. But I need to ask your personal opinion on something regarding the conference as a whole. 
where is the dumpster fire burning brightest? Is it Knoxville or Auburn? <laughs> I go Auburn uh, just simply because of uh, preseason media. To, uh, you know, the, the media in the preseason picks Auburn to win the league. Uh, not only are they losing games and almost losing games to, to FCS teams, you know, they're, they're one of their most talented kids gets kicked off the team for for repeated conduct issues. Uh, they have a real mess over at Auburn. I, I think the, the, quote, mess in Tennessee uh, is, is a little overstated in the sense that, you know, uh, Tennessee has not closed out games, and, and, and I get that, and I know they're frustrated. They're so tired of losing up there. But the fact is they are making progress because they are getting double-digit leads in those games, and, and I think Tennessee's playing some good football, or they wouldn't be getting double-digit leads in these games against decent competition. So I think Tennessee is inching forward. Auburn has regressed at 100 miles an hour in reverse. And uh, Auburn has a real mess. And, and, guys, if they – the way I look at it right now is their bus has uh, loose wheels. If they lose at Kentucky in that Thursday night game with the, with the entire country watching – uh, the, the, the wheels are off the bus. They have a full-fledged tire fire in a dumpster at that point. I'll go a little further before Drew asks this next question. If they lose that game, Jimmy, they're looking at 0-8 in the league for the second time in four years, and I'm sorry, but that's Vanderbilt territory. I mean, no, 0-8 in the league, You know, <laughs> particularly when you're talking about a year when you were preseason top five. Now, that's not necessarily Auburn's fault. But I think there's a hype issue over there where, you know, Coach Malzahn definitely stoked the fires all during the offseason about how good that team might be, and that's really sort of blowing up in his face right now. Now, now that all said, Auburn is clearly more talented than they've played to this point, and they could get this thing turned around just, just, just based on they're better than this. But, uh, yeah, they lose to Kentucky, and, and boy, full-fledged disaster. And, Jimmy, uh, going back to Alabama defensively, we all thought this group could be special uh, going into this year, had a chance to be the front seven, and especially the D-line has uh, really started to hit its stride and play great football. Uh, They've been spectacular against the run. The pass rush seems to be getting better from the front four and with every passing week with the the development of Deshaun Hand, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, They're getting a lot of pass deflections. Uh, They're getting a lot of penetration. But I wanted to ask you, I know you've been watching Nick Saban's program very closely since he came there. In your opinion, how good can Minka Fitzpatrick and Ronnie Harrison be? I I was on Twitter yesterday. I think Ronnie Harrison has a chance to be the best safety of the Nick Saban era. I think he could be the best all around, and that's saying a lot. But how good do you think those two individuals can be? Yeah, I saw your tweets, Drew, on that. I I, I couldn't agree more in the sense you you made a great point in your tweets about how Landon and Mark Barron were basically first-round picks. I know Landon was the 33rd pick, but that's really the first round as far as I'm concerned. They were first-round picks, but they're in-the-box safeties. They're hitters. They're tacklers. They're an extra linebacker. They're better against the run than they are against the pass. Ronnie Harrison, I think, has a chance to be more of an all-around guy. I thought Haha was really good in coverage at Alabama, maybe not quite as good in the box as Landon and Mark. I love your point that Ronnie Harrison almost looks like the best all-around guy we'll have at safety during the Saban era. 
it's early, but but the thing I love about Ronnie and Minka, and I'll even include Marlon, who's who's still a freshman, is the Saban defense is so complicated, and they have taken to it so quickly mentally, and and when you combine that with their physical skills. If these kids stay healthy, they're going to make a lot of money playing the sport. Jimmy, I know that in your younger days, you played a lot of tennis. And I know that uh, in, in, even in your older years, you still play some golf. Those are sports where approach and, and follow-through and form and confidence are, are paramount. And those are the things that, at least these last couple of games, Jimmy, I'm starting to see from Adam Griffith. And I'm seeing a young man make a transformation for the good. Now, we, we hope he can follow it up. But are you seeing kind of the same thing I am with Adam? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I get, I think our fans uh, have, have been really too hard on Adam uh, throughout his whole career. I think Adam has two two issues which affect his ability to be really consistent. And number one is the back injury. And last year he hurt his back in the Arkansas game. And, and, and from that point forward was, was, was bad for the rest of the year. I think he was five of 17 after the injury. And, and, and I get, well, that number is, is just horrible. It's very difficult to win every week when your kicker's only like five of 17. I mean, Adam's back was so bad. He, he couldn't even practice during the week. And, and and he was only kicking on Saturdays, and and yet you know some of the fans kind of treated him like, gosh, what a slump. Well, it's not a slump. He, he's so injured, can't even kick during the week. Then this year starts, and he misses his first four kicks, and the back is not an issue apparently this fall at all. But I think what some people, this is just my personal theory. I, I don't know this from talking to a, a staff member or anybody close to Adam, but you know. When he started missing kicks to start this year, the, the first game, he was introduced to a national audience because of that big story that ESPN uh, put out about you know going to Europe and, and that very emotional story about Adam growing up in the, in the orphanage in, in Poland. And I think sometimes we underestimate guys that impacted. Adam woke up Saturday morning, and by the time we kicked off against Wisconsin, he was nationally famous. Everyone in this country that's a college football fan then knew who he was, knew his whole background, and, and there's no telling what kind of texts he got that day, what kind of Twitter mentions, and I think it was just kind of a lot for him emotionally. And, uh, boy, as a kicker, you miss a couple. It's easy to miss a couple more. So I, I just think it was a confidence issue. It was kind of a a lot for him to handle this year. and uh, But – there is a difference. I always say there's a difference between a bad kicker and a good kicker kicking badly. And I think when Adam was hurt and when he lacks confidence, he's a good kicker that kicks badly. But he is still a quality kicker. And if Adam's back stays healthy at this point, I expect him to be really good the rest of the year. He's got a lot of talent. And then speaking of uh, the special teams, what about J.K. Scott? He's been a little bit erratic. Seems to be having trouble with his drop, Jimmy. He looks as though uh, at times that he's coming out of it, but then he'll hit another shank. It's a, you know he hasn't been nearly as consistent as last year. What are your thoughts on J.K. Scott? Uh, it's it's got it's 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 a little disappointing, but at the same thing, he's a true sophomore. We're probably expecting a lot. You know, in terms of things I hear from various places. You know, I think there's been an effort to 
kind of speed him up a little bit because as good as he was last year, I think he was sort of slow to get rid of some kicks, and I think there was some concern that that, that you know we could have some blocks. So, you know, in terms of mechanically what could be wrong, why, why is the drop different than it was a year ago? You know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if maybe an attempt to, to, to get him to get rid of the ball faster has, uh, has messed with his mechanics a little bit. But that all said, uh, clearly he's going to turn it around. Uh, it's not like he's kicking the ball backwards behind his head. <laughs> he's, not, he's not quite as good as he was a year ago. Uh, and I think, much like Adam has, I think J.K. is going to turn this around. But there is no question at this moment he is not the punter he was a year ago. And uh, as much as left tackle quite as good as he was a year ago. Some of that could be health or, or we'll see, but it's pretty common for sophomores that have huge freshman seasons to uh, to kind of back up a little bit. So sophomore slump, mechanics change, trying to get rid of the ball early. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but it's the only thing that we do know is that J.K. is not the punter he was a year ago right now, but uh, he, he's a good bet to come out of it. I think he'll come out of it as well. And the final question for me, Jimmy, uh, it wasn't that long ago that you and I used to sit around your swimming pool, smoking cigars and picking out the recruiting classes. So we'll do it virtually now. I just want to ask you if uh, you have any information, any nuggets you want to drop on uh, pending commitments, pending visits, pending developments in Alabama football recruiting. I'd be a little surprised if, if there's a pending, if there's a pending commitment, I'd be a little surprised one thing about this staff, I think this would surprise people that don't know this, and, and, and people might assume the complete opposite. But one thing that's true about this staff, once the season starts, they sort of back off recruiting a little bit. We still have official visits. They still have staff meetings. They're still talking about recruiting. But once the season starts, this particular staff, in terms of, of the way that, that things work, they sort of slow down a little bit. And then once December gets here and the SEC championship game is over, then they, they outwork everybody. So for that reason alone, I don't think we get a ton of in-season commitments. So I would hate to predict this guy or that guy. If I had to, if I had to pick a name, I'd say uh, Ridley's brother, you know, might be a guy that could commit, you know, in the next two or three weeks. I, I think something like that could happen. I think Devin DuVernay is coming on campus this weekend. I'd be a little surprised. If, if he commits to us, you know, at this juncture, I think the wide receiver position is really interesting because we're only going to take a couple more kids there, but there must be 10 really talented guys heavily considering us a wide receiver like Diggs from Maryland, like Ridley's brother, like um, Michael Jones from, from Louisiana, uh, even a couple of kids in, in Alabama. So that's an interesting position for me, but, you know, I, I don't really see a lot of impending commitments. One thing I will say about recruiting, though, that I expect to go well is I think we're in better shape for some of these five-star type defensive linemen than people know. I, I think we're in really good shape, particularly for Rashawn Gary, who a lot of people think, well, maybe it's Michigan, maybe it's Auburn. But I think we're in good shape for him, uh, the Lawrence kid from North Carolina, Dexter Lawrence, Rashad Lawrence from Louisiana. Even uh, you know, even a guy like uh, uh, I, I just that defensive line is a position to watch. I think we end up with more five stars there than, than people think. That's pretty big nugget there about Rashawn Gary, because I, I yeah, did, I, I had kind of written him off. 
Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I, think I thought he was going to go to Michigan as well. Uh, we we have a really good shot. We have a really okay. good shot. That's big. That's big. I don't want to call it news, but that's that's big information. And I appreciate yeah, you we, bringing that to Bam Jim. That's that's kind of stuff that we want you to come on the show for. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me any any time, and I I enjoy your I enjoy your show when when I'm not even on it. Yeah, and tell them, tell them how they can listen to your Talking Tuscaloosa podcast with Luke Robinson. Uh, just as easy as uh, anybody wants to listen. Just Google Talking Tuscaloosa. Uh, the, the the site will come right up, and we we tape on every week. And, uh, you know, I hope, hope people enjoy it. I uh, certainly enjoy uh, talking to Luke. The, the whole idea of that story is for, for years, Luke and I would talk about the upcoming Alabama game for about – you know, an hour every week, and we just decided, why don't we just tape this so other people can listen to our phone call? <laughs> and that, that's sort of how how that developed. But we we really enjoy it. Yeah, well, Jimmy, we always appreciate it. And I will say this about the wide receivers: the t- two that you really keep an eye on. I do agree about Kevin Ridley, but I think they may take three more. But keep an eye on uh, Keith Gavin and also AJ Brown. I think Brown right now is the closest I've seen to Julio. He's not Julio Jones. Uh, but he's very, very close in the ballpark, and I think Alabama needs some size and physicality at the wide receiver spots. And I think the reason they may take three is I'm not sure that Chris Black will return for his fifth year. Uh, he's not uh, progressed like everyone hoped. Uh, obviously, Raheem Falcons is injured, but he has not either. And then, uh, to be honest with you, a guy that needs to be on the clock and needing to step up, he's very talented, but uh, our Darius Stewart has got to be more consistent. Yeah, he's been a little Jimmy, frustrating to me. I hate to, pick, I hate to pick on our kids, but I, I do think that of all the players that play significant snaps, our Darius is the one that has to. He has to get better. Well, Jimmy, we certainly want to thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we are about to move on to our next caller, but before I let you go, Jimmy, I will tell you that Drew and I are issuing the first round of the Alabama high school playoffs and traveling to Starkville to see A.J. Brown take on Cam Akers and Clinton uh, on November 6th. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Yes, and thank you for joining us. That's uh, Jimmy Sign. He's uh, at LJS Law on Twitter. And, again, the Talking Tuscaloosa podcast he does with our friend of this show, Luke Robinson. But, Drew, we've already got another guest uh, on hold on the Big Head Barbecue Hotline. Check him out at BigHeadsBBQ.net, and I'll let you bring him on. Absolutely. We're honored tonight to be joined by one of the foremost sources of Arkansas Razorback sports uh, information, uh, football, basketball, baseball. He's covered all aspects of the Hog program for the past 25 years, and he's a senior writer right now for Hogs 247, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. He's fresh off of covering some of the Brett Bielema uh, in uh, the uh, press conference, and, some, and also I think they had uh, some players to speak after practice including uh, he did a, he just put up a piece on Jamichael Winston uh, from the great city of Mobile, uh, who is now is a teammate or is a, was a teammate of uh, Darius Phylon and is one of the starters for the Razorbacks who will be coming back to his home state, and that is Otis Kirk. Otis, uh, welcome to BAMS Radio. We appreciate you joining us. Oh, no, no problem. Thanks for asking me to be on. No problem, Otis. And I know this is a big game for Brett Bielema. Uh, it's a big win last week, obviously. Uh, they had a lot of expectations going into this season. Uh, it got off to the kind of a, 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 a poor start from the standpoint of the preseason in, injury to Jonathan Williams, who was considered one of the best backs in the Southeastern Conference. 
uh, you know, his, with his foot injury, putting him out pretty much for the season. It did not help. And then they came out of the blocks, struggling a little bit, got a big win opening week, but then uh, the, the struggles against Toledo and Texas Tech. Uh, but they did uh, bounce back uh, after the, uh, the uh, just a heartbreaking loss to Texas A&M. Really, they outplayed the Aggies for most of that game. But a gut check win at Tennessee, uh, just kind of tell our listeners where the, the Arkansas football team is right now because uh, they are going through a transition with Dan Enos, that offensive coordinator, and they've seen the, yeah. improve the passing game, but they're getting back to running the ball because uh, Alex College was tremendous last week. Yeah, he's actually gone over 150 yards the last three games, Alex has. But what happened last week is Raleigh Williams got 100 yards, so he kind of stepped up before it had been kind of – uh, Alex Collins, you know, they missed Jonathan Williams, and they still miss him, obviously. You don't replace Jonathan Williams. But Raleigh stepped up and had 100 yards on 14 carries last week, and I thought that really took a lot off of Alex and kind of gave the uh, him a chance. He still had 27 carries, but it wasn't like he had to do it all. And, uh, yeah, you talked about Dan Enos. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's really brought some balance to the offense. They're still running it, but the biggest thing that I can tell you right now is – is they're not one-dimensional like maybe they've been in the past. Now, we'll see if Alabama can make them that way because if they do, it could be a long night for the Hogs. Hello, this is Kerry Clark, Drew's co-host uh, from BamaMag.com. I work for Kirk McNair. I'm sure you know Kirk. We're having a uh, Kirk night tonight. He's actually joining us uh, <laughs> next time. Well, from Otis Kirk to Kirk McNair. So. But I say that to ask you this. Um, you had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to watch a former Alabama quarterback uh, at the helm for Toledo. I was wondering, what were your impressions of uh, Philip Ely? Well, I thought the thing that he did that I thought uh, Patrick Mahomes of Texas Tech did the same thing, I thought they were patient and took what the Arkansas defense was giving them, which was the short pass. I, I thought Ely played well. Uh, he didn't do anything to get Toledo beat. And uh, I thought he – like I said, I thought the biggest thing was patience. I, they, he took the short passing game that Arkansas was giving, and uh, you know, as Clint Cerner said today at the the, the touchdown club I covered, you know, he, he drove him crazy that man, but no great defense but given that short pass. But I mean, you know, Arkansas was giving that, and 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 Italy took it. I was impressed with him. Uh, Toledo's got a good team. I mean, Arkansas should have won the game. I'm not trying to soften the loss for Arkansas. I'm just saying, but Toledo. Toledo's got a pretty good football team, and they were shorthanded that day. They beat Arkansas. I mean, the running back was out. I mean, Ely did a great job down there. I was impressed. And, Otis, we've uh, all seen the progress Brandon Allen's made. Uh, he's obviously yeah. really a four-year starter. Uh, he's thrown for 1,300 yards already. He's on pace to maybe throw for 3,000 yards. I don't think anybody would have ever thought that uh, for Arkansas, but – the amazing thing has been uh, that he's done it with a lot of injuries. Uh, we all know how good Hunter Henry is. I think everyone thinks he's the best tight end in the SEC and should be a first-round draft pick. But uh, the injuries to Cornelius and then to Keon Hatcher, who I spoke with at SEC Media Days, uh, they've still yeah. continued, though, to be very productive. Kind of talk about their wide receivers and how they've still been able to get production. Well, I think the biggest thing there, and you just you just touched on it, and and they lost Cody Hollister too. Those three kids had started, uh, but Keon obviously was the best receiver on this team, and Jerry was second. But if the kid has really stepped up and taken some of the slack off of that. Is Drew Morgan? He had uh, eight catches for 155 yards against A uh, and M, and then he had um, he had 110 yards 
uh, I think it was five catches for 110 yards against uh, Tennessee. He's been over the 100-yard mark the last two weeks, and he's been kind of uh, – it seems focused more and more on Hunter Henry without Keon Hatcher and Jared Cornelius up there. Drew's a kid that stepped up and, and – um, two-star coming out of high school, coming out of Greenwood High School, two-star. And he stepped up and really take – he has helped Arkansas feel that void some. You still miss those guys, but he has really stepped up. It, it would have been a disaster without Drew Morgan doing what he's done. He's a junior from Greenwood, Arkansas. Actually had an Auburn offer. Gus Malzahn offered him. Uh, after He had offered him at Arkansas State. And then Gus went to Auburn that same year, obviously, that Brett came here. And then uh, – that uh, was actually the last kid. Drew Morgan was the last recruit that John L. Smith and his staff offered. Tim Horton, who's running back coach, I think he's running back coach, or he's assistant at Auburn, and Tim offered Drew Morgan, and that was the last kid that that staff offered here a scholarship. Otis, I have a quick story to share with you before I ask a question. Uh, one of the things I do for Kirk McNair, in addition to game day coverage, is on Friday nights I go out and scout various prospects and write them up. It's a column I call Friday Night Lights. been doing it about 15 years. Four yeah. years ago, Otis, I scouted a game over in Hueytown, Alabama, where a quarterback named Jameis Winston was endlessly tormented by Arkansas's Jamichael Winston. And I knew that night, I told Laura McKeema, now she's Laura Rutledge on SEC Network. She was on the sidelines with me. I told her, I think Bama may have missed the evaluation on Jamichael Winston. I still believe that to this day. And I want you to tell us what kind of effect Jermichael Winston has had on the Arkansas football program and his defense. Well, he's a junior, and he's been elected a team captain by his peers. And that, that to me, is speaks volumes of what he has brought. To the, I mean, when you're a junior and you've been elected a – one of the two, there's four captains, and he's one. Of the, he's one of the two from the defense. Is what I'm trying to say, and and, and I think that speaks volumes right there. I think Jermichael is a kid. He has really matured a lot since he got here. I'm not saying he wasn't mature to begin with, but I'm just saying he is a kid that's really grown up since he's been here. I've known him since the recruiting process, and uh, yeah, I, he 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 told me tonight, by the way, that he grew up an Alabama fan, and uh, but he said, you know, obviously he's moved home from that, and. Uh, and he's looking forward to the game. He didn't. A lot of times those kids are downplay that. He didn't downplay it. He told me he's really looking forward to coming back there and playing the Crimson Tide. So, yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I thought Alabama. You know, I mean, it's always. I mean, you always look at kids like that. I do and think. You know, they should have offered them. And I always thought. Anthony, you know, obviously LSU looks back. They should have offered Anthony Lucas for sure. But, uh, yeah, I know Alabama does a good job of evaluating. I saw I was looking at their depth chart when you guys called, and I see Josh Frazier's third team, and we all know how good he was up here. I, I saw him play a lot in high school, and he's third team at Alabama. So, obviously, they're doing so, they're, they're still getting some pretty good defensive linemen down there. They really are. Uh, great point, Otis. But uh, I wanted to ask, too, about uh, Arkansas's defense. Obviously, uh, they lost. Uh, they lost some very talented players. I mean, yeah. uh, from my city, uh, Flowers was a very good player uh, for Arkansas. I think he'll have a lengthy pro career. Uh, obviously, Darius Bylon, someone that Alabama still wishes they had gone ahead and signed. He was a very good player. Uh, no doubt, the, the leading tackler, uh, that linebacker. Now they've moved Brooks Ellis over to his spot. Uh, you know, just talk about Arkansas defensively and how do you think they've played and how they match up against Alabama. Well. 
the key is going to be in the in the key, whole key to the whole game. Two keys to me, and as far as the defense you're asking me about, I think the key is is, is controlling Alabama's running game kind of like they did Hurd last week. He got 90 yards in the game, but he only had one yard after halftime. So he, he got 89 yards in the first half. They can't let Alabama run run over them next, this week. And, and if they, they've got, and they've got to, to limit Alabama's running game, kind of, you know, kind of like they did in Ridgeback Stadium last year. I mean, they did that last year. And uh, that's what they've got to bring again this year. Uh, I just think that if Alabama is successful – Moving the chains, running the ball, running the ball, then they're going to pick you apart with the play action or, or the pass. And then Arkansas is in trouble. Because right now, the defense, to be honest with you, they miss Martrell Spade, Trey Flowers, Darius Phylon. And not just that, but Tevin Mitchell was drafted uh, by the Redskins. Now he's with the Indianapolis Colts. He's on the injured list. But but it, uh, Indianapolis thought enough of him to pick him up after Washington released him. And Alan Turner got a free agent deal with the uh, uh, Kansas City for a while, and Braylon Mitchell with Oakland for a while. So, I mean, they lost a lot of firepower off that defense. And right now, to be honest with you, their best defense has been an Arkansas offense that's controlled the ball for 39 and 40 minutes. I mean, they had the ball for 40 minutes against A&M, just short of 40 minutes against A&M, giving them only 20 minutes. I'm talking about in the regulation now, not in the overtime, but in regulation, A&M had it for just a few seconds over 20 minutes, and, and Arkansas had it for almost 40. Uh, that's been the best defense they've they've had so far. Their defense has been they've done a lot of that like I said earlier, bend but don't break and they and the teams that have been willing to take the short pass on them have had some success and uh it's uh you know and, and they got beat a little they got beat some deep against uh Texas A and M but then Christian Kerr he, he the A and M receivers are going to burn a lot of defensive backs. I mean they've got some it's not like those guys are just you know, guys A&M picked up before the game and brought out the right. intramural field or something. There's pretty good receivers. So, so yeah, they got deep on Arkansas some. But, like I said, I think they're going to do that for a lot of things. But Arkansas's defense has been trying to avoid giving up the big play and make the make the other team beat them. But I think the best defense has been an offense that's kept the other team's offense off the field. And I want to, I want to agree with one thing that you said, Otis. Uh, I think the game plan that – that Bielema had for Alabama last year was about as good as as anybody has seen yeah. in the Saban era. I watched a replay of that game about a week or two before the season started this year, and truth be told, if the fullback doesn't drop the ball, Arkansas wins that game. But yeah, uh, you know, getting back to no, I was just gonna say yeah. I mean, Cody Walker has the ball, it just basically drops it, you know, and uh, it just seemed like that's what Arkansas has kind of been snake bitten and says they found and, and that's kind of what they've done this year it was penalties and stuff they found ways to beat themselves you know as much as the other teams have beaten them I mean they've had a several touchdowns or two or three touchdowns called back because of penalties that in the and I'm talking about in the games they lost and notice that the question I wanted to ask you and this will be the last question for me but uh, as somebody that's followed this conference for a long time and as somebody who has continually covered games against these two programs, and this is not an Arkansas question, it's not an Alabama question. Right. Where is the dumpster fire burning brightest right now, Knoxville or Auburn? <laughs> well, I think in Auburn because of one reason. I mean, there was people telling me, obviously I've got you know, some people that I've known for a long time. It's on that Auburn staff. And, and, and they've uh, they thought this was – going to possibly be their best team ever Malzahn's best team ever and they were saying that and and and, and uh I I I thought Johnson 
got too much pub. I know I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I thought he, he's not as good. I mean, I thought he was better than what he is. So I'm not going to sit here and lie about that. But I'm just saying that I thought he was getting way too much hype, getting Heisman hype and preseason hype because of the one half against Arkansas. And I thought, I mean, slow down a little bit on that guy. And, and uh, you know, I had no idea it was as bad as it is. But yeah, I think I think Auburn. Because they've just, I mean, the expectations were through the roof. Now, now Tennessee has high expectations, but, but you know, really when you look at that, if you take about a player or two in the OU game and a player or two in the Florida game, Tennessee's probably 4-1 and one right now and, 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 and possibly could have beaten Arkansas. So I just think Auburn, I mean, with the expectations that they had, it's just, man, I mean, it's, it's just, and, 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 I mean, it, it could get worse before it gets better there. Now they'll, they may come up here and beat Arkansas by 50 points in, two, in three weeks. But I'm just saying right now, I, I think Auburn's really a head-scratcher in the SEC. And then Otis, obviously, uh, I know Coach Bielema has talked about it. He, I know he was very high on Alabama's defense and their D-line, saying that Alabama had a machine going. And you've already made reference to you know, Josh Frazier. I still think he's going to be a very fine player, but he is third string. Uh, Deron Payne has come in there as a true freshman and been a force. Uh, what, what, how do you see uh, Arkansas attacking Alabama's defense? Uh, obviously, they're going to have to protect the football and not turn it over and find a way to create balance. And you said Dan Enos has, has uh, definitely improved the passing game. But what do you see as far as uh, how they match up with Alabama, you know, offense for, uh, their offense versus Alabama's uh, front seven in defense? Well, well, no, I said there was two keys to Arkansas winning. And one of the defense I talked about, you know, not letting Alabama run over. Well, the other key was Arkansas can't let Alabama make them one-dimensional. And, that, and I'm talking about all pass or all run. If they do, Arkansas is going to get smashed. I mean, they've got to maintain the balance. I'm not going to say – I'm not saying they're going to control the ball for 40 minutes against Alabama. I don't believe that. And I don't think they have to. But I don't – but Al, Arkansas has got to be able to run the ball and throw the ball against Alabama because if they can't be – if they can't have some semblance of balance and be two-dimensional – it's going to be a long night. They cannot get one dimensional, and, and, and that, it, you know, that's what happened against Toledo. Arkansas rushed for 103 yards in that game. They passed for 400. Brandon attempted 53 passes in that game. It was way over 400 yards, three or something passing. Uh, it, it can't do that. You, that Arkansas's got to maintain some balance. And like I said, I don't expect. I don't think they expect to come down there and control the ball for 40 minutes against that defense. That that's not. That's not – I don't think that's feasible. But I, I do think Arkansas has got to be able to throw the ball and run the ball. And they've had pretty good success if you throw out the Toledo game uh, in that regard. And, and they've run it much better since that game. I mean, like I said, well, since that game, Alex Collins has been over 150 yards three straight games. So that speaks, you know, of how that's happened. But he's got to be able to run the ball. And then Arkansas has got to be able to throw the ball. And I think one thing they could do against Alabama is, is use a quick passing game because I don't think you can let Allen sit back in the pocket and let Alabama's guys come after him. I think you could roll him out and use a quick passing game and possibly maintain control of the ball like that. I kind of like some teams have done against Arkansas. Well, and one one last thing for me too: Alabama has to be a, a alert because it didn't work against Tennessee, and they obviously had the block field goal, but he did run the fake, and so. I think Brett Bielema will come in and uh, empty the, the, the tank, so to speak. They have nothing to lose, really. I mean, uh, obviously, they're still wanting to contend in the SEC, but it would be a landmark win for Arkansas. So Alabama needs to be ready for anything because that's one thing. If I, I, The one thing I've always said about Brett Bielema, he, he does not coach scared. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, he he's called a few fake or uh, a few. In fact, I didn't agree with the fake field goal last week. And, and by the way, I was mistaken on the block field goal. That was actually on the holder. He dropped the snap. Oh. Uh, I thought I thought Hedlund just kicked it in line, drive it. But Brett told us Monday that that the holder dropped the ball. It was, a, it was a good snap, and he just dropped the ball. So that's what happened on that. But yeah, and he said that had nothing to do with the fact he had just. They had seen something from Tennessee where the corner – they thought the corner was going to come off the edge, and, and once uh, McFain got around him, he could walk into the end zone. Obviously, the corner dropped back, so that didn't – it didn't work. And I didn't I didn't like the call when he made And he's had some of those. I, I remember Mississippi State two years ago. But you're right. I mean, he will. He's not afraid. And he's not afraid to do it on his end of the field, during the field, or wherever. I mean, he is – he's very unpredictable, and he's not afraid to – Rolled the dice a little bit. I think the guy likes to go to Vegas a little bit, and he probably plays a few yeah. slots out there or something. I don't think he's afraid to play a few dollars down out there. I mean, he is a gambler, and uh, he's not afraid to do that. And uh, sometimes it works, and sometimes it does I mean, last year against A&M, you know, Sam Irvin Hill had the, the run for a touchdown on a big punt. So it's worked some yep. and not worked at other times. Oh, yeah, and then just and that's where he met his wife as well, and he did well there. We met her at SEC Media Days. But, Otis, we really yeah. appreciate the time. <laughs> uh, man, we know you've been very busy, and we uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you in the press box in Tuscaloosa. But thank you for taking the time tonight uh, for our listeners to update us on Arkansas and join BAMS Radio. Uh, yeah, just uh, Arkansas, you know, and I appreciate it. And that, hopefully it will be a good game down next Saturday. Absolutely. Well, Otis, we look forward to talking with you down the road. Thank you. And have a great rest of your evening. Appreciate you guys. And without further ado, we do thank others for joining us. Uh, we also have another call on hold on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. Uh, and that is your friend and mine, former Alabama manager and current host of a radio show of his own, Talking Sports with Big C, in Greenville, Alabama. Colin McGuire, what is up, son? Not much other than I'm pretty happy what happened Saturday. I, I had a feeling they could win, but I wasn't expecting them to win that big, though. You're right, BC. Uh, but, I don't think anyone saw that coming, but it was a – I know you've seen a lot of performances from Alabama, in your opinion. Was that – I thought it was the best complete performance in two years from the, all three phases of the team. What was your thoughts? Oh, I agree with that. I mean, kicking game, uh, defense, uh, offense. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say that was since 2013 or since last year. I definitely would say so. I sure would. Uh, and the, one, the amazing things you had three freshmen that contributed big, big time. You had uh, Ridley catching the touchdown pass and a long 50-yard pass also during the game, and then you had. Marlon Humphrey intercepting a pass, and then you had Fitzpatrick blocking a punt, and then the Harrison intercepting another pass, the, the, the second pass of the year, two games in a row. Uh, it looks like maybe the pass defense is starting to get uh, gelling the right way, or at least I hope they are anyway. And, um, and then, uh, then the quarterback looked real good, and I like it, the, the balance. Of, I like it the way how they they're sort of – like a repeat of the Wisconsin game from an offensive standpoint, didn't throw the ball that much, but threw it enough and was able to run on them real well. And uh, it was a great run that uh, um, Henry made on the first touchdown there. But uh, I have to say, uh, overall, pretty. Yeah. Big C, uh, 
I want to ask you this question because if, if my memory serves me correctly, the uh, the last game you ever managed was against Arkansas. Yes, it was in New Orleans for a national yes, championship. Uh, Paul Bryant versus Lou Holtz uh, in January, New Year's Day of nineteen eighty. Uh, tell correct. us what you remember about that ball game. Oh gosh, a lot of stuff. One thing was that uh, that's the only time as a manager I went in at halftime. Uh, of the game, and the Coach Bryant was in there. They had two separate rooms with offense and defense to meeting, and I went in there with the defense mainly, and, you know, was passing out towels and stuff, and the coaches were on the board, and Coach Bryant walked in there smoking a cigarette, and then he walked out of there and went to the other room where the offense was, and they were doing something in there, and uh, he really didn't say anything, which sort of amazed me. And then, you know, I remember the players saying, we got we got we can't let them up like we did against Auburn. You know they made four, you know had all those turnovers to make Auburn get back in games. Remember Arkansas scored on their first drive the second half. But remember Major Oakley played a great game. He had two touchdowns and he ran back a punt fifty yards to set up a, uh, a field goal right before the half to go up seventeen to three. And then later in the game he, he quick kicked and uh, had two quick kicks in that game. Him and uh, Joe Jones doing that. And the thing I remember about that we. Put that in the practice. We practiced that on Christmas Day on them quick kicking. For some reason, Coach Bryant decided to do that, and it worked. And the main thing was, I remember the last drive, touchdown drive of the year was a 98-yard drive, and the punting game was real good. Uh, we punted, you know, down a bunch of punts inside the uh, – their kicking game was great, punting inside the 10-yard line. Buddy Hope caught two in the air inside the five to down them. So, I mean – and just basically, it was uh, we dominated them pretty good. Final score: twenty-four to nine, twelve and zero, and consensus national champions. That's correct. Go ahead, Drew. Or unanimous, <laughs> unanimous, not con- consensus, was unanimous national champions that year. Yes, it was. Bixie, uh, what are your thoughts on the Arkansas matchup coming up? It's kind of a trap game for Alabama. Obviously, Arkansas is playing a little bit better football than they had been early in the year. I still think it's a very winnable game for the Tide. I think it's a good matchup. I think Arkansas is going to have trouble running the ball on Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've thrown the ball better than people think, but I'm still not. I think Alabama's secondary is getting a lot better as well. To me, it's all about mindset. If Alabama has the right mindset, I've got to win in 28-17. But what are your thoughts on the matchup? I think it's 30. I'm saying 31-14, to 14, and I think that. They, go, they don't have any room for Harris, so they're going to have to play. Excuse me there. Um, uh, I think they'll – thank you. I don't know if they'll play – I can't expect them to play as good as they did against Georgia, but I think they'll play fairly well. But I think they'll beat them by between 14 to 17 points and might be a struggle. But, you know, they held Arkansas to 89 yards rushing last year same basically the same line they got back this year so i think they can and you know the thing is i hope we can push them put them into the deal like uh when they played uh toledo because they they ran the ball for 30 something times for 100 and something yards and they threw the ball 53 times if they can take them out of their uh game you know the way they're built to play that'd be a definite advantage to alabama and i think all right well thank you big Thank y'all. I'll talk to y'all next week, and I'll get back with you tomorrow sometime, Kerry. Y'all have a great night. All right, Big C. Yeah, you have a good night, too. That's Colin Big C. Roll Tide, Big C. Roll Tide. And uh, you can hear his show, which is called Talking Sports with Big C, 
or watch his uh, weekly TV show, Talking Bama with Big C, at www.jockjive.com. It's uh, less than $9 a year to subscribe to those podcasts. But for now, uh, we're preparing to bring on another guest. But while we work him, we're going to take a break. Uh, You are listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. Welcome back to BAMS Radio. A member of the BAMA Sports Radio family, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, back at the controls in Mobile. And uh, interesting first hour, we heard from uh, Colin Big C. McGuire. We heard from Otis Kirk of uh, Arkansas's uh, 24-7 site. And we heard from Jimmy Stein, uh, that's LJS Law, to those of you who follow Bama on the web. 
And uh, we're going to be joined in just a few minutes by another prestigious guest. Uh, but before that, Drew, uh, I guess I wanted to ask uh, what contri- what little nuggets of recruiting info would you want to drop on our listeners tonight? As far as, well, you know, I, I don't think I can top what Jimmy Stein. No, that was big. About having a, I, you know, and, I'll, and, and uh, I hope he's right. I mean, I think Gary may be the best player in the country. But uh, I don't have anything of that uh, nature. But I do think that that Alabama, there there is a sleeper in the state of Alabama that I saw this past Friday night, and uh, I helped John Garcia get in touch with him, and he already did a story, and and I'm not sure that he's uh, John and I discussed it on my show Tuesday, but I'm not sure that he's going to be SEC good. But I do I will say keep an eye on uh, Priceville High School. And keep an eye on Caleb Barker. He's six foot two, over two hundred pounds, can run under a four six, very strong lower body, very good arm, though I do think he would if he was in the SEC he'd be a wide receiver. And I talked to his father, Freddie Kirby, and I did after the game and he told me that that the guy has his son has great hands. He said you wouldn't believe how good a hands my son has, but he plays quarterback here. He's on pace, Kerry to score 70 to account for running and passing uh, over 70 touchdowns, which would break the state record. Price feels undefeated. You know, he's, uh, he's, uh, they're, they're having the best year in school history. Talking to the people around the programs, uh, he's also a very good basketball player, can do pretty much any dunk you want, and he's also a very good baseball player. So he's just a really good athlete. Tore his ACL the second game of, of his junior year last year and came back gained 30 pounds of muscle, got faster, and I just think he's someone. There's always a kid that kind of flies under the radar. He will visit for the Alabama-Arkansas game, and then he will visit Auburn as well. But I think he's someone to kind of keep your eye on as uh, the recruiting process evolves. And before we bring on our next guest, I want to uh, let everybody that's listening know that the Alabama men's and women's basketball teams will be formally introduced at the 2015 Tide Tip-Off, a special fan-friendly event for Alabama students, season ticket holders of all sports, and faculty and staff. Now, that's going to take place Tuesday, October 27th at Coleman Coliseum at 6 o'clock. The excitement will continue after the basketball portion, which includes three-point contests and dunk contests with celebrity judges, but there will be a performance from the hip-hop duo of Ray Stremerd, and I just want to tell you, our next guest has got every CD that Ray Stremerd ever put out. I want to bring on a friend of mine and a friend of this show, a man I've known for many years, back from the time I was a student broadcaster at Alabama, and he was working under Charlie Thornton in the media relations office. Our friendship has continued, gotten stronger, uh, become professional, and anyway, welcome to BAMS Radio, uh, the editor and publisher of BAMAMag.com, Kirk McNair. How are you tonight, sir? Well, I'm good, Gary and uh, uh, Drew, and it's, uh, you know what, I learned something tonight when I heard about that uh, group that was going to be performing. It's Their name of their group is Drummer's Ear, spelled backwards. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's good. See, I knew you had all those CDs. Uh, Kirk, I want to ask you first off, uh, before we uh, get too deep into anything, uh, I understand that you were at uh, the Nick Saban press conference tonight, and I understand that Coach Saban had some interesting remarks about his history 
with homecoming and prom dates. <laughs> yeah, he did. And I <clears throat> probably uh, sort of like when you hit that send button and then say, oh, I wish I could take that back. <laughs> he probably wishes he could take it back because uh, he said Miss Terry was in Florida and maybe she wouldn't hear about it. But I think Nick's, everything Nick Saban says pretty much gets uh, gets wide coverage. So he said that he had not always guessed very or picked very well on his on his prom dates and uh, homecoming dates, and it haunted him to this day. <laughs> and, Kirk, obviously uh, you've been around the Alabama football program a long time, and I think you, uh, I think everyone felt like that Alabama would play their best game against Georgia. But did you foresee – and I will say this. I mean, everybody – that blackout game has got a lot of mileage. It kind of set – Alabama's program up under Nick Saban, you you felt like they had completely arrived as a national power again when they went into Georgia and won that game as an underdog. But I'll argue when you talk about weather conditions and then all three phases of the game that this performance was even more complete. Were you surprised at how well Alabama played? Well, I was. Uh, When uh, you know, as we realized the conditions and uh, and then. Alabama's first possession certainly didn't bode well when Derrick Henry fumbled. And, uh, uh, you know, you don't think about him being a fumbler, and uh, there it was. And, you know, we had, in in my mind at least, I'm sure others' visions of the Ole Miss debacle. But uh, Alabama turned it around, and I'd predicted Alabama to win. But, of course, that's that's not any uh, big news because I always pick Alabama to win. And, uh, uh, (coughs) you can't say that for everyone, can you, Carrie? <laughs> but uh, I did not expect it to be quite that uh, or anything like that. I thought it would be a close, hard-fought game. And and really, uh, this is uh, just like the blackout game. Uh, the final score uh, from last Saturday doesn't reflect how thoroughly uh, Alabama dominated that game. Well, Kirk took a little shot at me there for picking Georgia to win, which I did. And that's fine, but I tell you what, I'll, 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 uh, I've got a little return volley. Uh, I'll tell you all this as, as somebody that has sat by Kirk in the press box for close to 15 years. Uh, you can tell absolutely how Alabama is playing that day by, by the amount of profanity. And <laughs> I will tell you, I will tell you that after Derrick Henry's fumble, listeners, Kirk McNair may as well have been a choir boy or an altar boy. Because he was really happy the rest of that game, you know, there were there were no no bullets flying. But uh, Kirk, I wanted to ask you a, a non-Alabama related question. We've asked each guest this tonight, and it, so far it's been unanimous. But I want to get your opinion because you've covered the conference longer than everybody else on the show tonight. Added up and times three probably. <laughs> but right now, as we speak on this day, uh, where would you say, Kirk? And I'm talking about not just on the field, but off the field stuff, such as allegations of hitting a player in Knoxville, or uh, not allegations, but char- but facts of, of bar fights and all of them. Where would you say the dumpster fire is burning brighter right now, Knoxville or Auburn? <clears throat> Boy, that is a, that's a tough call. Uh, I, uh, I'm having a hard time getting my head around either one of those situations. Uh I think that I think probably in Knoxville uh, they have no allegiance to Butch Jones prior to him being there, 
and so probably it's uh, it's worse in Knoxville for the for the head football coach at least. <laughs> As for the overall situation, uh, it is it's a they're neck and neck in a in a downhill slide, I'd say. Well, you know what, Kirk? If if Auburn loses next Thursday night in Lexington, they're staring at uh, oh eight in the league for the second time in the four four years. And no offense to your daughter's alma mater, but that's Vanderbilt territory. <laughs> that's uh, right. <laughs> and, and you know, if if they go zero and four in the league twice in four years, oh, uh, with the same guy with the same zero and eight in the league with the same guy running the offense both times. Uh, well, actually, he wasn't there the first time, but he I mean, his players he recruited were there the first time. Uh, I don't even know. I mean, I know there is an allegiance to him, but zero and eight in the league. I, I'm not positive he'll survive that. If he does, it's going to be for one more year. Well, I think you have to look at the finances too. Uh, you know, Auburn's. I don't know how many people they've got on the payroll that aren't working there, but uh, they've got a had a sizable debt in paying uh, coaches that they got rid of, uh, football and basketball, and maybe some other sports. And now baseball and. Uh, seems like there was one or two others that they had, but uh, you know, just the buyout for Gus Malzahn, and I don't know how many of the assistant coaches there are on multi-year contracts, but his is, I think, right now, if they'd fired him this year, it'd been eleven million dollar buyout. So, uh, you know, you're talking about some serious change there, and uh, you know, I'm just not sure Auburn. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have put $13 million into that scoreboard that apparently nobody likes, the Jumbotron. So I, I, I think they've got to, I think they've got to be, I think they've got to ride it out with Malzahn one more year. Minimum, really. And I agree, Kirk. I, you know, they fired so many coaches. Uh, they, and they'll, they'll deny this, but they fired Malzahn as offensive coordinator, in my opinion, after Alabama beat beat them down in 2011 and Ted Roof. I think they were both told to leave. It's a miracle he goes to Arkansas State, has one solid year, and they turn around and have to rehire him when I don't think anybody wanted to go head up with Nick Saban, in my opinion. I think they were going to have trouble bringing someone in. And, of course, many of the fans convinced themselves that he was the one that won the national championship when it was actually Cam Newton being Superman. Sure. Uh, but that's another story for another day. I wanted to ask you, about well, you know, just, just to, not, okay, not to interrupt, ahead, but I, let me interrupt just real go. quick. It, it, just hiring him wasn't the, wasn't so much the problem, but after being there, what one year, had they right. give him this huge buyout? That oh uh, yes, you'd yes. have thought you'd have thought that Jay Jacobs might have learned a little something from some of those previous buyouts, but I guess they're just trying to convince themselves that that they've got a guy that they're just going to have to beat off. Uh, you know the. Uh, New England Patriots who will be coming for him or something, you know. Just so that that's where they've really gotten in trouble. If he just had a, a reasonable contract, uh, it wouldn't be too bad. But he's got an unreasonable buyout, unreasonable from Auburn's well, standpoint. Well, and, I, and, and I, they're they're not going to talk about this comment he made, but he he made some comments in the preseason about how good he thought his team was going to be, and then of course has already, which I'm sure is going to be all over Alabama's locker room the week of the Iron Bowl, talked about how much he liked his chances of beating Alabama at home. Uh, but the other thing he did, he, he talked about Chip Kelly a couple years ago. Look what Chip Kelly's doing in the NFL. Well, I'll tell you what Chip Kelly's doing in the NFL. He's about to get fired, too. Uh, <laughs> because he, 
Yeah, yeah, and he'll probably end up the next coach of the Texas Longhorns. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Kirk, I wanted to ask you about this upcoming game because it's a little bit of a trap game for Alabama. Arkansas is playing better football than they played a couple weeks ago. We just had Otis Kirk on, who I know you know he has been around a long time, oh, yeah. covering the Razorbacks. But I think this game, I still think Alabama, I've got them winning 28-17, but I think it's mostly a mindset game. If, it, if they're not looking ahead to Texas A&M and if they, if, if they, if they heeded Coach Saban's message Monday, that they're going to handle this football game. But what is your take on the contest with the Hogs? Well, I think it's uh, a, a chance to be a very tough. Uh, I think it would be a low-scoring game. Uh, the, both defenses so good. You know, I, I didn't re- even remember this. I just happened to be looking at something today, and I said, "Holy smokes!" Neither team rushed for a hundred yards in the game last year. Uh, you know, that's just almost inconceivable. Uh, I think Henry and uh, Collins—they're great back between the two of them. Didn't have it about. 50 yards maybe so uh it's a uh, you, you can expect it to be uh very physical uh you know I I can't imagine how in the world Arkansas lost to Toledo I just for the life of me that's uh, one of the things that'll be one of the most difficult results ever to understand and then you know they played Texas A&M off their feet. Now I know Texas A&M's ranked 10th in the country. I personally don't think Texas A&M belongs there, but I think they're pretty good. And they're better and and a good team. And uh, and Arkansas could have won that game. And then you know last weekend we had the disappointment bowl. Really, the team that lost that game in Knoxville was, uh, in my opinion, in horrible shape. And uh, so it's Tennessee that's in horrible shape and. Arkansas came out of that with a win. I think that they're uh, – I heard somebody today uh, list the top three quarterbacks in the league, and one of them listed Brandon Allen. I don't think I'd put him third, but I might put him fourth, you know, or uh, maybe in the – I'd put him in the top half probably of the quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and uh, But not Superman by any means. So uh, they've got they've – got, they've got some issues. Uh, but they again, but they have played better of late. Uh, but I'm like you; I think Alabama wins by a couple of touchdowns, uh, roughly in that range. No, I agree with that. I've, I've got uh, 31 to 14 myself. Uh, I feel like Alabama turned a corner this past Saturday. Uh, next question, though, Kirk: uh, Arkansas may probably has the best offensive line in the conference, at least for running the ball. And Alabama has the best defensive line in the conference. Uh, how do you see that matchup playing out? Well, uh, it's Alabama's defensive line and linebackers, I think, are, you know, just make uh, running the ball against Alabama just a really, really tough thing. Uh, and I know that Arkansas has got the biggest offensive line for sure. And, you know, just kind of watching things, just being big, it doesn't really always get it done. And I think our defensive line not only is very, very good, I think they get great preparation going against an Alabama offensive line that uh, maybe isn't hitting on all cylinders yet, but I'll tell you what, they've got some fierce guys up there that are that are giving uh, our defensive line good work because, as you know, Alabama works first against first, even through the through the year, which is, uh, you know, part of the Saban way, and he's got enough players he can do that, I guess. I doubt very seriously that Arkansas 
Tennessee's offensive line has run up against anything like Alabama's since uh, they played a year ago. And uh, I think that Alabama's defensive line probably wins that battle, our defensive front. Kirk, I know you've seen a lot of great players at Alabama, and one of the, the, the coolest things about watching Nick Saban's teams is watching freshmen get better and and, uh, and, and have breakout performances. And we all, I think everyone thinks that, uh, that obviously we saw Calvin Ridley finally break out, and I don't, I don't say finally, but it was eerily a lot like it took Amari Cooper around midseason of his freshman year to have a breakout performance, and and it was well timed because obviously, um, you know, with our Darius Stewart's inconsistencies, uh, with the loss of Robert Foster, Calvin Ridley performed very, very well uh, against Georgia in uh, you know tough weather conditions and in a tough place to play. But your thoughts on Calvin Ridley and uh, how good you think he can be? Well, I think he can be terrific. I think he's uh, he showed last week. Uh, that was a terrific performance, but. If that if that'd been Amari Cooper, we'd have been very very happy with that performance uh, last week, considering the conditions and the way the game was played. So uh, Ridley, I'm not saying he's Amari Cooper. I said before the season, it'd be unfair to say that someone's got to fill the shoes of of Amari Cooper, but somebody's got to be the big play guy. Uh, and and it looks to me like Calvin Ridley has got the best chance to be that guy. And 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 really, uh, uh, Richard Dun- uh, Nunley's got the uh, – I'm sorry, Richard Mullaney has got the chance to be – the second best chance to be that. And I think Ardarius Stewart, and I, uh, I've been very disappointed in his performance. Uh, I, I read some statistics the other day about uh, the number of passes that he had been targeted on, which was amounted to about a fourth of the passes thrown by Alabama quarterbacks this year, and he had only caught – about 50% of them. So uh, that, I'd say that's not satisfactory. And uh, and so Ridley's performance, considering Stewart's uh, lack of performance, in my opinion, uh, w- was really well-timed. Uh, we really needed it to come then, and we needed it to continue. Kirk, I wanted to ask you because we, we've had this question come in uh, from our Twitter feed and we're giving each guest a chance to address it. Uh, what do you feel going forward, since we saw a small appearance by him this past Saturday, do you see an expanded role coming soon for Bo Scarborough? I think that's very interesting. Uh, I think that uh, it's, a two, it's a two-part question, really. Uh, what's going to be the role of Kenyon Drake, uh, and is that to, to determined by what our, uh, Bo Scarborough can do, which is what I've kind of thought, uh, that when he came back that presumably he could move into that backup tailback role. Uh, I think that <clears throat> Kenyon Drake suffered a bad injury last year, and I think he's completely physically healed, but he does not seem to be uh, wanting to burst through the line like you, you know, he seems to want to be able to want to uh, get outside. Well, that may be the best use of him, but it also may be that uh, they've used him an awful lot as a, uh, a wide receiver uh, or a split flanker at least, or in the slot. Uh, and his running plays have come out of there a good bit. So, if that's what they want to do with him, 
So you've got to have, you know, some tailbacks. And I know Damian Harris is going to probably be a good one, but but right now I'm not sure that he's the. Uh, of course, I don't know if Bo Scarborough is either. I'm I'm, I'm talking in circles a little bit. Uh, if Bar if Bo Scarborough is good enough to be the second tailback, I think that's what they'll do is they'll make him the second tailback. If he's not, then I don't think you can afford to to uh, get Kenyon Drake out of that rotation. Kirk, you bring up a good point. I'm hoping uh, that Bo Scarborough, I know it's tough to do during the middle of the season, I'm hoping Bo can take on a little bit more of a role as a running back. Maybe they can move Kenyon and uh, involve him more as a receiver and maybe get Ardarius Stewart off the field unless Ardarius finally steps up. But, uh, you know, I know uh, uh, Kerry was joking about you being very upset about uh, Derrick Henry's fumble. Well, I don't know if anybody would have wanted to read my mind or hear what I said where I was watching the game uh, when Ardarius <laughs> dropped the football because that's what he did, uh, yeah. then played off, but he was injured, and then a few snaps later got a missed a block, and then on the very next snap got a false start. So yeah. uh, I just I was basically ready to take his helmet from him and uh, bench him for the remainder of the game. But he did make one play in the game. But I wanted to ask you about two more freshmen really quick to get back on topic. And I know you, uh, we've, we've talked about Calvin Ridley, but what a special player Minka Fitzpatrick looks like he is going to be. And then also Ronnie Harrison, who, you know, we talked to Jimmy Stein earlier in the program. I think Ronnie Harrison, this is a heady praise. I know it's early, Kirk, but I think he has a chance to be the best safety all around of the Nick Saban era. But talk about those two young guys. Well, the first thing I'll say to that is, man, uh, when you say that, just think about the safeties he's had. I also am very, very high on Ronnie Harrison. Uh, he is uh, he, he was very impressive in what little we got to see him in the spring, uh, and I thought I thought then that he might be a starter this this uh, this fall. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm very pleased with. And I give Mel Tucker some credit for this, who came in as the safeties coach for taking a couple of cornerbacks and 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 moving them to safety, and and that's worked out very well. But uh, uh, everyone speaks highly of Ronnie Harrison as a safety, and then Minka Fitzpatrick, who I get, I think was, you know, depend. I, I think that Scout ranked him the number one cornerback in the country. He's not playing cornerback; uh, he's playing star. But I, I certainly don't see a diminished role for him going forward. I, I think he is just a, a super-looking athlete, and as you say, he he just did it all last week. He had, uh, uh, most importantly, of course, the blocked punt, which is uh, such a big, big play in a game. Uh, you know, there may not be a bigger play that a team can make than to block a punt. Uh Instead of the field getting flipped or something like that, you know, you get get a great result for your team. So, uh, and of course, he picked up the ball and stepped into the end zone for the very best result, a touchdown. And then he had a big, tremendous tackle on kickoff coverage, which, you know, you hold your breath every time Alabama kicks off and they run out. Uh, you know, just eight years of seeing seeing people running back uh, at the least opportune times will make you gun shy on that. And then had some plays in the secondary, so he is a he is a tremendous tremendous prospect. I think I think all all three of those guys you mentioned. In fact, I wrote a story this week uh, about uh, about the freshman contributions, and I think this this 
class was like a lot was uh, <laughs> it seems or was uh, ranked in the top one or two depending on which which uh, service you looked at and and I'm saying it's living up to that in spades. We're talking to Kurt McNair, the uh, editor and publisher of BamaMag.com and the founder of the uh, hard copy of Bama Magazine, which is not around anymore, but it was around in the mid-'80s, back in the days, Kirk, and I know you remember this, they used to let the media go over to Bryant Hall and eat that great food, then interview players. And you and I used to interview players out in the courtyard or in the lounge over at Bryant Hall, one of which was Bobby Humphrey. Now we're seeing his son, Marlon, also wearing number 26, who is a redshirt freshman. He's not a true freshman. He's been around a year. But he is starting to come into his own. He made a big play in the rain Saturday. Uh, and he shot up the depth chart once he sh- shook off a hamstring injury in August. Uh, talk a little bit about what progress you've seen from the younger Humphrey. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people were disappointed that uh, Marlon Humphrey didn't come in last year and just uh, immediately uh, become a star. Uh, he he didn't. He was perhaps not ready for this uh, level of competition. We don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, uh, he was redshirted. And, uh, you know, I can still remember Coach Brown saying, nobody's ever redshirted because they're too good. So, so that tells you what that he wasn't good enough actually is what it's saying and so to see him come in this year and i had high hopes for him i thought in this again limited limited uh opportunities to see our players but i thought what i saw of him in the spring that he looked like uh that i thought he was ahead of tony brown and uh i thought that he looked like he was he, he understood what he was supposed to do and uh, I think he's I think he's got a really really high ceiling. I know on the first play of the game, first uh, George's first offensive play, Marlon turned the wrong way. Uh, Michael, uh, no, what's his name? Uh, well, Mitchell. Mar- Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell. Yeah, Malcolm Mitchell took the sideline and 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 Marlon turned toward the field, and you know lost about two steps in a. 25-yard race, uh, you know that's a that's a that's a tough thing to make up even for a guy like Marlon Humphrey, and of course he didn't. And and later in the game, uh, with Georgia obviously had targeted Mitchell all year, he had like 20 receptions coming in, and the next guy had like seven or something like that. And uh, and Alabama elected to uh, switch and put Cyrus Jones on on Mitchell. Uh, they they just flip flopped from then on, and I thought, but I thought Marlon played well. And then when he got his chance to make a play, he made a big play, and uh, I think that was probably good for his confidence. Uh, certainly good good for uh, his coach's confidence in him and his teammates. So uh, again, I think that Marlon Humphrey's going to be a fine fine player. Just taking a little longer maybe than Alabama fans, including me, would have liked. <laughs> Well, Kirk, and I wanted to ask you to um, speaking of the special teams, and you know Adam Griffith, he, uh, you know everybody was all over him, uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he started slowly and was over four, but he's made four straight kicks now. And I think that another underrated part of his game is he's becoming a real weapon on kickoffs. 
Uh, he's had several touchbacks and then kicking very deep. And Alabama's coverage units have been really good, led by Tony Brown, who has been a maniac uh, doing that, playing very physical. But uh, hopefully uh, Coach Saban made a comment, I know, recently about him correcting his plant foot. Uh, could we have seen a turnaround by Griffith? And uh, could he become a strength? And if he does, I think that's going to make this Alabama football team uh, maybe they, they could be the best team in the country should they stay healthy and focused. But, again, uh, Adam Griffith, to me, uh, I don't think he's been played up enough. I think he's uh, his last three weeks have uh, mirrored the kind of the football team getting better. Well, I think you're right. He, he has gotten better, and Nick Saban talked about him tonight after practice about how he certainly had a, a more confidence than he had uh, than when he was struggling. And uh, and also pointed out, and you're right, uh, he's he's – been much much improved on his kickoffs this year and again he had a back injury last year you know and it's just hard to do anything with anybody who's had a back injury knows how hard it is to do anything and so uh, now he's not only kicking deep but he's placing the ball well you notice uh, even the the kickoffs that are returned are usually returned from from near the pylon which uh, you know cuts the field in half to or less to cover and uh, as a result, our coverage has been very, very good on kickoffs. He's made his field goal. He had the onside kick against Ole Miss. It was absolutely perfect. So uh, he's 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 done well on on those things. And now, if he gets the field goal, kicking back, which is an awfully important part of the game, uh, then I think then we're going to be in good shape. Kirk, back when Bama Magazine was in its infancy, uh, maybe six, seven months old, you covered a game on New Year's Day in New Orleans against Arkansas, coached by Lou Holtz, Alabama by Paul Bryant, and it capped off one of the greatest seasons in Alabama history. Tell me what you remember about Alabama 24, Arkansas 9. Well, the main thing I remember is that Alabama, of course, was a wishbone team and came out in – what looked like a double wing uh, with the two halfbacks up, uh, one right behind the, the left tackle and one right behind the tight end. Uh, and uh, and I got a call from ABC. I wasn't working for sports information anymore, but they had been used to dealing with me, I guess. And and uh, they sent a runner down to ask me what Alabama, why Alabama had changed their offense. And I said, well, if you if you'll watch. Uh, you'll see that they're doing the exact same thing that they've been doing in the wishbone. They're just starting it in a little different spot. And, uh, you know, they've, they've had the had the halfbacks up on the line, uh, or up by, right behind the line, and but they were still running the wishbone. And then, uh, of course, I remember uh, uh, Joey Jones. Uh, no, excuse me. Uh, I don't think it was Joey Jones in that game. It was... Uh, well, I can't remember. Come on, the now. No, the on the return? on a on a pass for a touchdown, not the one against uh, Penn State. I know that one, but uh, I believe we threw a pass down the right sideline. Uh, oh man, I can't remember who caught it, but I remember later I was talking to Mal Moore, and and Mal said we were inside the forty, and Coach Bryant had just said that if we're inside the forty, we're in four down territory. And and he asked me what I'd called, and I told him, and he started chewing me out, and just then it went for a touchdown. 
and he kept he mouth said Coach Bryant kept trying to come over and apologize to me, and I wouldn't let him get close to me. <laughs> <laughs> the things you remember. <laughs> but uh, but Kirk obviously uh, with this matchup with Arkansas, uh, as you said, Alabama. Uh, they did slow down Alabama last year, but uh, Alabama shut down their running game. They returned most of the same offensive line, but as you said, it should be a good matchup for Alabama defensively. But what do you? What, but uh, just talk about Alabama, what they have to build on offensively, because I think they found the formula. Uh, they, they've gonna, they're going to have to feature Derrick Henry. Uh, I think 20 plus carries a game. Uh, stay patient with the running game, which is what I like against Georgia. Continue to lean on people, and then. Uh, Jake Coker, uh, he's never going to win a beauty contest, but I, I do like his moxie. Uh, I do think he can be a good quarterback for Alabama. But I think uh, he's going to be at his best at 20, 25 pass attempts a game. And then an underrated aspect, we talked about this already, has been his uh, his mobility. And I really hope Lane Kiffin continues uh, to use the bootleg effectively as part of the running game also. Well, when you've got Derrick Henry, the bootleg's going to be open. <laughs> you know, if you're doing uh, play fakes in the in the middle to Henry, that's going to attract the crowd. And uh, and really, I think uh, if, if there's a big, been a big surprise on this team, it was it's it's been that Coker really has some running ability. Uh, I'd say and he's Blake Sims or necessarily, but uh, uh, he. He certainly seems to have enough speed and, and mobility, and of course he's a big boy too. So uh, he gets out there. He's he's uh, going to be a load for somebody to bring down. I know he's most of the time he's going to slide, but uh, one of these days we may need him to keep going. And uh, I think he'd have the physical ability to do that. But back to the original premise of this question, I think that the key for Alabama this year is for. Jacob Coker to be an adequate quarterback. And, uh, you know, I thought he was more than that last Saturday, uh, but he's also been less than that at times. And so I think that uh, if he'll just be adequate, if he'll complete a decent raise right around 60% on his passes, uh, you know, in this day and age, that's about average, uh, but that's fine. That's the, If he'll complete 60% of his passes, uh, particularly those uh, intermediate p- passes that he seems to be pretty comfortable with. The the long passes he had not been comfortable with, I didn't think before, but, you know, that that perfect strike to Ridley may have uh, may have unleashed that uh, for, for Alabama now. So I think Coker's the key. Uh, you know, that's not unusual for the for, – to say, to say about any team that the quarterback's the key, but I think uh, – I think that's it. Well, Kirk, I wanted to ask you, uh, is any progress being made, in your opinion, in figuring out what's going on with, with J.K. Scott? He seems to be showing some signs of improvement, but yeah, he doesn't seem I to be think, able to stay consistent. Yeah, not yet. He's, uh, you know, kickers, uh, uh, kickers are of a different breed, and you, you mainly think about place kickers, but – can, you know, they're kind of loners and uh, have to do their own thing. You can't give them too much coaching because they're uh, they're pretty well programmed by uh, teachers they've had outside of of Tuscaloosa. And I think that uh, Scott had a couple of good ones uh, last week. Uh, so 
Uh, maybe he's getting better. I hope he is. Uh, if we can get him back, uh, not necessarily the 48 yards of kick and 44 and a half uh, net kick, but uh, back in that 40 plus range with the height he's had before, then we'll be fine. And Kirk, uh, obviously, uh, they announced something big as far as uh, basketball today uh, via the, the media relations. They're going to have a, a so-called Midnight Madness special event on October the 27th with the men and the women. Uh, you know, Kerry made reference to it when you came on here. Going to have the concert. But, I, you know, everybody's focused on football, and rightly so. Alabama's trying to win a championship and uh, defend their SEC title. But I think everybody's excited uh, to see Avery Johnson's product and what he's doing. And, you know, I've heard some more good things about the recruiting aspect in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, he could be on the precipice of maybe signing a top-five class nationally. And if that happens, it would be probably the best class since the James Robinson class and probably even better on paper than that one. And, and that's so stunning considering he hasn't coached a game on the floor. But and I know you've been around the basketball program a long time as well. You know, how excited are you to see, you know, what he's going to do with this current group of players? And obviously I don't think the talent level is where he wants it to be, but you still want to kind of see what kind of what he can do with some of these guys and, uh, and and what kind of style of play and just if he can get more production out of uh, some of these uh, uh, young guys, especially guys like Jimmy Taylor, uh, who, you know, in my opinion has been underdeveloped. But how excited are you for him to get started? I'm very excited. Uh, I felt uh, today I, I was thinking uh, this may not be the best day to be doing that. Uh, I'm not sure about – I'm not 100% sure, but I thought that the week before the – the bye week in, in football, or that week of that, was maybe the fall break for Alabama students. I hope it's not. I hope it's after that. Uh-huh. But I'd heard, I, I had it in my mind that was the week. The week, and you know, students would uh, probably have a big turnout for something like that. Uh, football, you know, I've been around it a long, long time, and we've had good teams, and it's just hard for Alabama people to get in basketball mode until after the bowl game. I, it's too bad, but that's that's the way it is. And, uh, yes, there's uh, incredibly different feeling about Alabama basketball this year uh, for the for the men's team uh, uh, with, the, with the change in coaches. I think it's been a, a most positive uh, event for Alabama, and I – uh, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm just uh, amazed at the job this guy's doing, recruiting, and who he, even the ones he's not getting. Maybe uh, he's going after the top guys, and so uh, you know, if you don't go after him, you're not going to get him. That's for sure. So he's going after him, and it looks like he's going to get his fair share too. So I'm very, very excited. Uh, I'm not sure that that we're going to have, uh, you know. Uh, Dick Vitale coming in and and ESPN covering our Midnight Madness event, or uh, but it's but it's a good start and um, and I hope it's a, a successful event. Uh, I'm going to encourage all of my friends to show up. Yeah, because I know your friends are going to love that hip hop concert. Um, <laughs> maybe they'll leave early for that. But uh, Kirk, just to jog your memory a little bit, I. I 
through the magic of Google, I looked up some recaps while while we were talking. There was not a touchdown pass in that 1980 Sugar Bowl, but uh, there was yeah. but there was a 98 yard drive to close the game, and part of that drive was a long pass out of the backfield to Billy Jackson. I believe that's what you're referring to. That may be what I'm remembering. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I was thinking it was every a touchdown. touchdown was scored on the ground, but that 98-yard drive featured a long pass to Billy Jackson. In fact, yeah. Stebbin only threw it seven times that day, right? And <laughs> completed four, and uh, three of those four were to Billy Jackson. And yeah. uh, he had a pretty impressive catch on that last 98-yard drive. We had Big C sharing his memories of that game before you came on, and he remembered the 98 drive. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I had dinner. Was, I had dinner in New Orleans with the with the Arkansas defensive coordinator and uh, I mean just it just turned out that we were sitting at the same table it was a large group and sitting next to one another and chatting and and I think he I, you know I don't remember the exact numbers but they had a lot of uh, freshmen and sophomores on their defense and I thought to myself this sounds bad for Arkansas <laughs> Bobby Hall I believe was this. pretty cool uh were y'all at Commander's Palace no, we were uh, over in Metairie at a, uh, a seafood uh, ball place. You know, is everything was, <laughs> you know, everything was fabulous. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You can't go, can't go too wrong with uh, food in that part of the world. Uh, nope. Well, final question for me. Uh, other than two unfortunate plays in the '72 uh, Iron Bowl, uh, Coach Bryant had a lot of success. With, with punters and kickers during his tenure at Alabama. And uh, one, of, one of the people in our chat room wanted me to ask you, how did he handle punters and kickers in those days? Well, it was a little different then. Uh, there, there's a limit on coaches now. And uh, I can't remember. I think Jack Rutledge coached the punters. But they were they were more, more left to their own. But uh, Tommy Brooker, uh, coach Bryant called him his town shoes coach because Brooker leave his office and come out to practice as a volunteer coach, and and he'd still be wearing his uh, his business attire, <laughs> and so he wasn't wearing coaching shoes; he was just wearing street shoes, and uh, and he would work with the place kickers. And of course, Tommy had been a great place kicker at Alabama and in the pros, and uh, it's funny that uh, I was talking to Tommy just recently and uh, I, I didn't actually ask him the question somebody else asked him what Griffith needed to do and and Tommy said he needs to move his plant foot about six inches <laughs> he said he's getting too close to the ball so uh so Tommy spotted it and uh and I guess somebody else has been working to fix it I don't know how how that works now but we talked to coach Saban tonight about he would like be able to have 10 assistant coaches and uh, so that he could have a special, you know, a kicking coach on staff. And uh, he talked about that, and also he said, but I don't want to lose four graduate assistants, which we're allowed now. He said, I think that's good for the future of football to keep young people in coaching. And and he, uh, he pointed out that he probably wouldn't have been a coach except that uh, Miss Terry, who would become his wife, had still had a year of school to go, and uh, and and uh, I guess they'd gotten married, and he and he uh, 
you know, needed a job and got a job as a graduate assistant coach at Kent State while she finished her last year of college. Well, I was through asking questions, but when you brought up Tommy Brooker, that, that makes me want to ask you one final question. Okay. And it has nothing to do with Alabama and Arkansas. It has to do with Alabama and Georgia Tech and an honest mistake by a radio announcer on a non-televised game that left Tommy with some explaining to do when he got off the bus in Tuscaloosa. Why don't you tell that story to our listeners, Kurt? Well, that's true. It's uh, uh, he uh, Tommy Brooker was the kicker. Tommy was hurt, and it was uh, an incredibly important game, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, back when Georgia Tech was really something, and Alabama was uh, working their way back there, and uh, and uh, Alabama drove down. There were all sorts of storylines to this game, but basically Alabama drove down, and on the last play of the game, uh, Digger O'Dell, who had never kicked a field goal in his life, uh, he hit sort of a wounded duck uh, out of the hole of Bobby Skelton and, and, and beat Georgia Tech 16-15. to and Maury Farrell was the play-by-play announcer, and John Forney, the color commentator back in those days, and before John Forney became the play-by-play man. And they both, uh, the numbers were not that far off, and you know, the, you know, you know what happens when you assume. <laughs> but they assumed it was Brooker, and gave all the credit to Brooker. And and back then, they didn't have hours of radio after the game once the game was over they wrapped it up and they were gone and they were uh, uh actually out at uh, dinner that night when somebody told john said something to john forney about boy could you believe that digger odell may kick that winning field goal and forney said what <laughs> well meanwhile the team it wasn't the bus they flew back to tuscaloosa landed at the airport and Brooker said hey, all the girls were there to kiss him and make all over him, and and Digger got kind of mad. So they got uh, later that night there was a pep rally, the, the, one of those uh, unplanned pep rallies where the students uh, gathered at the what they called in the ape dorm, <laughs> the, at the old athletic dorm, uh, calling for Odell. You know the word had finally spread, and Odell. <laughs> was still mad, and he started throwing water balloons at him. <laughs> so it's a funny, long, <laughs> long, a lot of stuff that was going on before they finally got uh, Odell settled down, and uh, and uh, and Tommy and Tommy was helpful in getting him to accept the congratulations. Uh, it's funny. I was doing a book one, uh, uh, book on the greatest plays in Alabama football history, and I was going to do that, and I'd never met. Digger Odell, who just died not too long ago, by the way, but I met him and I was in the A Club room and I saw Tommy and I and I said I need to find Digger Odell. Or, I mean, I need to get in touch with him. And he said, Well, he's standing right over there. And I said, Oh, okay. So I went over and introduced myself, told him that I was doing a book on the greatest plays in Alabama football history, and I wanted to sit down and talk to him about the the Georgia Tech game and. We talked about it, made arrangements and everything. As I walked away, I said, by the way, I'm going to give credit to Brooker in the book. And, and he didn't laugh, but his wife howled. <laughs> he still ain't over it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story. I, I wasn't even going to ask it until you brought up Tommy, but I'm sure our listeners enjoyed hearing that. And I had not heard the part about the water balloons. That's even funnier. But <laughs> yeah. uh, 
<laughs> that is really funny. You know what? There's not enough water balloons in the world to put out those dumpster fires in Knoxville and Auburn and Austin right now, though. But anyway, um, thank you for joining us, Kirk. Uh, we, we appreciate it. And, of course, we'd love to have you on again down the road. And, uh, as always, BamaMag.com will have full coverage of the Arkansas game, including Coach Saban's remarks, including player commentary, videos from AP Stedham, and Kirk's game stories and, and uh, other stuff like that. So y'all, please get on BamaMag.com Saturday night and just soak it up in the early Sunday morning as well. But thank you so much for joining us, Kirk. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thank All you, right. Kirk. Roll Tide. That is Mr. Kirk McNair, editor and publisher of BamaMag.com. And uh, the very reason that I get to sit in the press box each week. And hopefully this will be a, a low profanity week uh, against <laughs> Arkansas. But I tell you what, Drew Kirk might be pushing seventy, but he still gets pretty worked up when I'm not playing well. He no, no. let him fly now. I, but, I, uh, I'm the same way, and just for our listeners, a little bit: Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win, four to nothing. Jake Arrieta, if he doesn't win the Cy Young Award, I don't give two craps about Zach Greinke, and of course uh, the big lefty. But Jake Arrieta with a complete game shutout. What a second half of the season for Mr. Arietta. I think it's great for baseball when the Cubs win and get in the playoffs. And, and, I, and I knew they needed to win this wild card game to actually get in the real playoffs, the series playoffs. And I'm, I'm happy that you announced that. I, I was trying to follow it a little bit, and I knew they were winning 4 nothing at one point. But, and I also thought it went well last night for those of us that are not New York Yankee fans. And I'm not a New York Yankee fan. <laughs> Neither uh, am I. And, and Thomas Watts is an Astro fan, and he's got to be pretty happy about last night's wild card game. I, yeah. I'm happily bandwagoning. <laughs> happily bandwagoning. I might, might. That's what I'll say. I guess us Braves fans like Drew and me will just hang on to the fact that Evan Gaddis is playing for Houston. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Evan Gaddis almost hit a home run last night. Uh, Correa is a great young player. Uh, they've done a great job building through the draft, and it's what the Braves are going to have to do. If you think about it, what? what well, <laughs> not everybody can go into Yankee Stadium and win a one-game playoff game. And uh, I, I thought Houston showed just uh, for a young team like that with a young – and I didn't even know who the manager was until after the game, A.J. Hinch. Yeah, A.J. Hinch, former Stanford Cardinal. But he, I'll tell you what, he, he's getting it done. And, uh, you know, our Falcons are 4-0. Uh, the Saints are only 1-3 and and one play from 0-4. So things in pro sports are going pretty good for me. But uh, I want to close out because I don't usually talk about this kind of thing on the air. But uh, for those of you listening to this podcast, either live or uh, via uh, tape delay, please pray for my friend uh, Randy Snyder, who is down at UAB at this hour battling for his life with leukemia. Uh, Normally I don't bring up this kind of thing, but it would be very much appreciated by myself and for anybody listening tonight if you would please pray for Randy Snyder and his family. Uh, With that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up for this week's edition of BAMS Radio. It's been a great show. We thank Otis Kirk, Jimmy Stein, Kurt McNair, and our loyal caller, uh, Colin Dixie McGuire, all for joining us tonight. But uh, we've already given our oh, – Thomas, we want to give you a chance to give your Arkansas prediction before we drop off. Uh, Alabama comes up flat first quarter, spots Arkansas touchdown, wins going away 34-21. 34-20. Okay. And I've got 31-14. Drew's got 28-17. We're all pretty much – in the same two-touchdown variety. So anyway, we're going to sign it off now. Thank you very much for listening to BAMS Radio. For Drew DeArmond of 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, 
I am Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, wishing you a good night, and roll tide, everybody. Roll tide. <laughs>